Good day and welcome to HCA Talks Health. Um, I'm your host, Zina LaRue, and our goal with these podcasts is to share with our audience the powerful ways that people can take control of their health and transform the quality of their lives. And today I have the privilege to talk to Michael Arlowski, um, and he's a pioneering architect um, of the field of health and wellness coaching. Um, and he has trained thousands of coaches around the world. And even though he is a psychologist with more than 25 years of clinical work and a lot of professional contribution to the field of health and wellness um, promotion, um, he really sees the value of coach-like behavioral change, you know, the methodology around that for helping people to succeed at lasting lifestyle improvement. So welcome, mm-hmm. Michael. It really is lovely to, to have you on the show today. Oh, definitely my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Lovely. So what I think we need to start with is maybe just a quick explanation from your side um, of what the difference is between therapy and coaching, because I think there might still be a little bit of confusion around that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm really um, very dedicated to clearing that up, you might say, <laughs> uh, being both psychologist and coach yeah. and done a lot of clinical work over the years and so forth. And it's really important for coaches in particular to uh, understand that so that they can feel free enough to work with emotions, mm. to not shy away from it. They have to learn how to do that and yet know how to do that without crossing that thin line over into the therapeutic world. And, you know, one of the ways that I really um, kind of make the distinction is that Therapy really is about, uh, among other things, it's about healing the old wounds of the past and how they're getting in the way today. Yeah. Now, coaches are not trained to do that. They just are not. You know, our training is quite inadequate uh, compared to someone who's a trained mental health professional. So the difference really is that coaching is about helping people achieve what they want to achieve to make their lives better. and it really is taking a look at how the past is relevant to today. Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk about things that happened way back when in terms of how relevant are they to today. Mm-hmm. Resolution, however, is the job of the therapist. So if um, your client is someone who had very critical um type of parents, let's say, who, you know, really um, uh, made life difficult and maybe punished them easily, maybe uh, made sure that they couldn't do anything for themselves until they got all their work done, et cetera, et cetera. Person's going to have a lot of feelings about that, a lot of unfinished business about that. And yet resolving all that can really be done through therapy. Uh, that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. But resolving it, processing those emotions, trying to work out all those unfinished feelings with parents, that's getting into really deep water. Mm-hmm. Uh, deep water that coaches really aren't prepared to deal with. Whereas a therapist, I like to say, can go anywhere with anyone. The coach, however, can say, okay, so you know, I understand you had that really difficult upbringing. You've told me about that. It sounds really hard. 
how does that get in the way today for you doing things for yourself to be healthy and well? Mm. How's it relevant? Mm. Yeah, that we can explore because what you end up, I mean, a lot of coaches, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself there, where people have the need for more self-care, you know, taking time for yourself, um, and, you know, even taking time to exercise, go for a walk, um, get the help that you need to ask for the help that you need, all these things. Mm -hmm. And yet some of that old stuff definitely becomes an internal barrier. Mm -hmm. Well, we can talk about it as it's relevant. Mm -hmm. So that's my big distinction, resolution versus relevance. Okay. So we don't necessarily have to solve the wounds of the past um, in right. a coaching process in order to help the client move forward or to hold the space even around um, mm -hmm. some of the emotions that they are experiencing around that. But the focus is the future instead of the past, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah moving from, from there, then and, then and there, there and then, however you want to say it, uh, to here and now and yeah. Uh, yeah. where we go from here. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's one of the reasons why you are such a fan of coaching, right? Um, so, so just tell me, maybe tell me a little bit more about that. Why, how did you get into the, the, the area mm -hmm. of coaching and why are you such a fan? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say it really kind of, I started heading kind of uh, in that direction or I was sort of primed to go in that direction because I was always uh, fascinated with humanistic psychology, growth, uh, human potential, uh, the work of people like Abraham Maslow, uh, Carl Rogers, Virginia Satir, people like that. And they were always talking about um, the things that positive psychology people talk about today. <laughs> and as a result, I was very attracted to the wellness movement uh, many years ago. Uh, I was very fortunate. I was able to go to the first wellness conference in the history of the whole world uh, back in wow. the late 70s. And I've been very involved in that field ever since. I was working in university counseling centers, and I did that for a total of 17 years. And one of the problems with a psychologist that works in a university counseling center is there's only one way to move up, and that's to become a counseling center director. And as a director, you really don't have much opportunity to do counseling anymore. You're pretty much a university administrator. And I did that for about half a year as an acting director. And I learned that I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to essentially change careers. So as I was um, kind of in this go nowhere situation, I looked around and I came across um, this newly forming field of uh, coaching, life coaching, business coaching, leadership coaching, and so forth. The International Coaching Federation was formed in 1995. And in 1996-97, I got my training as a coach, saw that it was different uh, than being a psychologist or a therapist, uh, and realized I needed to, to have specific training in coaching. So I went to Coaches Training Institute, learned really the craft of coaching, and um, started working independently um, from, you might say, from ground zero. <laughs> and loved what I was doing, loved the potential of it, loved what results were happening. And when I started working with people around health challenges, 
and uh, that kind of thing. I just saw that, you know, the whole idea of combining what we knew about wellness and health promotion with coaching um, just was a natural fit and had to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, And obviously you've you've written quite a bit on the topic and um, what I want to dive um, a bit deeper into today is is the book that you've recently written and that is called Masterful Mm -hmm. Health and Wellness Coaching. And that is about deepening your craft as a coach, right? And one of your aims with this book is to give coaches the tools to evolve from a good coach to one of exceptional ability, right? So maybe you can just give us some info on, you know, on the book and what what inspired you to write this specific one. Yeah. Yeah, really, uh, it it may sound... um, oh, I don't know, uh, pretentious a little bit, but really I wrote it to elevate the craft, uh, Mm -hmm. elevate the field, the whole profession. Because what I was observing um, in a lot of the coaches we were training, especially when they got training from other programs and so forth, was that coaching had become pretty basic in a lot of places. It was about smart goals. It was about accountability. Uh, a lot of uh, organizations that were trying to leverage the numbers were making coaching calls extremely short and really quite basic. And when you really look at coaching and it's um, what it aspires to do with people, it's really to evoke transformation. You know, how do you help someone transform who they are so that they can live their life better the entire rest of their life? It isn't just about, okay, you know, like you see some studies, and I understand we have to build studies about behavior from the ground up and pretty basic. But, you know, some of the studies are, well, you know, uh, X number of people uh, were walking at this low level. Now they're walking at this much higher level per week, and our studies a success. Well, that's great. But we're not just trying to change one behavior for the length of a study. Mm-hmm. We have the daunting task of helping someone change the way they live and make it last for the entire rest of their life. Mm. That's really kind of a big deal. (laughs) So so coaches need to have skills. They need to have presence. They need to have depth to be able to really help people do that. And that's why I wanted to really share, um, a lot of what I knew and we ended up with a 412 page book. <laughs> yes. It was quite a read, hey, and I found found it very insightful. But I like this idea of you centering it around um transformation, right? And and your description of transformation, um, like you said, your your prerequisite is it should be lasting, it should be enduring. It's not about a 12-week program to lose the weight and then just gain that and more back, right, that we so often see in the diet industry. Um, So your view is really that for lifestyle improvement to be successful, um, it -hmm. must endure for a lifetime. Otherwise, it's, it's, you know, (laughs) it's, it's not successful. So, so right. just tell us a little bit more about this. And, you know, why is it that people find long-term transformation so difficult? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My first book was called uh, Wellness Coaching for Lasting Lifestyle Change. Mm-hmm. And my constant joke is I didn't write a book entitled Wellness Coaching for Temporary Lifestyle Change. Exactly. You know, we, 
<laughs> you know, we see, we see that, like you just said, continuously. Okay. So I did a presentation at a conference one time on how do we make, you know, the change last. And I dug into the literature and I was really kind of astonished at the paucity of work out there on long-term health behavior change. There really isn't much out there. Um, there's our big, you know, population health longitudinal studies like the Framingham study in Massachusetts and so forth that was on heart disease and so forth. Some of those things, there's uh, work that we are seeing coming out of the blue zones uh, and the work of uh, uh, the people that uh, Dan, uh, uh, Dan Butner uh, put together. So we do have some guides, but for the most part, there just isn't that much information. But what I did come across was a consortium that was working on the same problem. And they did a huge literature survey. They also conducted like 20 studies of their own. And they could, pro they could really come down to two factors that they could identify that they felt had the most impact on making behavior change, health behavior change last. Mm. And it's always interesting when you, you know, ask people, what do you think they were? You know, so, you know, do you have any guesses yourself? Long-term change. I'll bet, you, right. I'll bet you can nail one of them. Probably the environment, right? The inf Community. environment needs to support yeah. you, right? Community support was absolutely one of them. Great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very good. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it seems natural, logical, so one of the things that we really need to do in coaching is not just be working with our individual, but always be thinking of them in the context of where they live. Are they living somewhere where it's really difficult to be well, like my old hometown? Or are they living uh, somewhere where it's easier, easier to be well? Mm -hmm. Are they in a workplace where it's easier to be well? Mm -hmm. All those things. Do they have people around them and a, an environment around them, like you just said, that supports their efforts at being healthy and well. Mm. That's huge. Mm. The other single factor was a change in self-concept. Mm. And that was interesting because it wasn't just self-esteem. It wasn't um, even, you know, they didn't even identify self-efficacy, which we often talk about. But I think self-efficacy follows this and the idea of self-concept is a change in who you believe you are and a shift in that, shifting from, well, you know, I'm just somebody who's doing the best they can and, you know, I just kind of do what I've always done and I'm not very conscious about how I'm living my life and lifestyle to someone who is very conscious. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm saying to myself, well, you know, now I'm a runner, I'm a bicyclist, I'm a um, outdoors person, I'm, you know, whatever it might be, and or I'm a person that's really into plant-based food and healthy eating and so forth and so on. A change in who you kind of see yourself as, that tends to last. Uh -huh. Very interesting. So how, yeah. so how can we support that? How can we coach for connectedness so that the person really is out there finding more resources that are going to help them to live that healthy, well life. Mm. 
Yes, and finding like-minded individuals, right? Because I, I see so often with my clients as well when when they've got a social environment, you know, where where bad habits are encouraged, um, it's it's really difficult to make that change. To to so to maybe coach them to find a new group um, with like-minded individuals could make a big difference. So it really is that combination of environmental support and the internal shifts. So yeah. as you mentioned, who you think you are but I think also who you think you ought to be, right? Yeah, and that's also right. something that you that you touch on in the book, yeah. right? Um, oh, and yeah. there's, a, there's a big difference there. Yeah, there really is. And, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, coaches have learned to help someone create what we call a well-life vision of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, have that positive view in the future of seeing yourself living your best life possible. And realizing, you know, you don't snap your fingers and it happens overnight. You have to build toward it. But when you have that goal of where you're headed, then you can create a map to get there. Yeah. And that's the difference between an away from goal and a towards goal, right? So often right. we we first start seeing people when they, they don't want to be fat anymore. They don't want to be ill anymore. But the moment right. we create that vision, it's it's mm-hmm. they can show up each day with more clarity. What do I need to do next to get there? And often they feel more motivated to get there, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we always talk about fear motivation, like mm-hmm. you're saying, the away from goal. I want to stay away from the operating table, you know? (laughs) Mm, mm, Exactly. So a lot of our, you know, efforts at health promotion in the past have been, you know, to avoid this and avoid that. And, you know, um, it's been really kind of negatively based. Mm. And one of the things that we have learned from the whole positive psychology movement is that, you know, positive things that attract people, have more power than just avoiding things. Mm-hmm. Now, fear-based motivation can get you started, and that can be great, terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that person really needs to get shook up and realize, wow, I'm headed toward a cliff here, mm-hmm. and if I don't put on the brakes, <laughs> you know, it's going to be really bad. However, often it doesn't last. Mm-hmm. And so a lasting motivation um, that, like you just said, that drawing toward, you know, type of goal, mm, living yeah. that life, that can that can really motivate. Yeah, and sure. and the book I talk about some uh, well I visions that were very powerful that some of my clients used uh, maximally, you know, that helped them tremendously. Lovely, yeah. And you referred earlier to um, Maslow, right? And mm-hmm. um, I, there's a very interesting concept that you explain where you know he spoke of self-actualization versus self-image actualization right so that's just coming back to the idea of who you you think you ought to be right um and often when we start out with a client and we've got this well life vision or they've got a well life vision planned out for themselves we really need to distinguish and make sure you know that it it really is about their true authentic nature compared to who they think they should be Right. So can you maybe give us some some tips on how how do you make sure um, mm-hmm. or how do you coach a client to to make sure that it's it's not about who they think they ought to be um, and it's more right. authentic? Yeah, oh, I, I love that question. Um, and, and that's that's a first time question on that. I love it. Of all okay. the interviews I've had. That's brilliant. Good. Uh, yeah, really um I think 
Maslow was definitely on the right track there. And we see this so much in popular media, trying to influence people about who they think they should be. Um, we see it in, in entertainment. We see it in uh, the mass media for sure. And, and we see it in even in our peer groups, you know, the influences that others have. And I think really it's about helping people clarify their values. Mm. What really are your values? What um, truly, you know, is important to you? What are the pri true priorities in your life? And helping someone to clarify that to make sure that those uh, long-term aspirations are in alignment with their values and, and help them kind of question, well, where did I get that value? You know, mm -hmm. is, is that something that's true to me or did I just kind of grasp onto that because a lot of my friends were into that or it seemed popular or uh, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, just kind of doing the, uh, you know, what's realistic, you know, kind of exploration with somebody. You know, one of the things that uh, I really believe coaches need to do with clients is plenty of exploration instead of just real quickly trying to identify what behavior do we want to change? Let's set some goals to change it. Let's set some action steps. Let's set some accountability and we're good to go. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple. <laughs> yeah. And also listening more deeply, right? So it's not just about what they say, but also right. their body language and their tone of voice. We need to pick up yeah. on, on those things to see if if this is authentic or if this is maybe coming from their culture mm -hmm. or certain beliefs that they have or even trauma that they've experienced, They, you know? Yeah. So we need to be on the lookout yeah. for those things. Yeah, look for the incongruities. Yeah. You know, the laughter that is kind of inappropriate for the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. something sad and they're laughing about it you know type of thing mm -hmm. you know we're not going to confront them every time someone does something like that but it's it's really paying attention like you say that deep listening is really about noticing you know and you know the definition of mindfulness is noticing without judging and that's what a coach is continuously doing mm -hmm. but we're also making distinctions and there's a difference between a judgment and a distinction mm -hmm. okay and trying to distinguish, okay, is this congruent or incongruent, you know, between what they were saying and how they're, you know, showing up, like you said, non-verbally? Um, is there an incongruity here between what they've said in the past about their values, what they're saying now? You know, it's all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And that can really um, be something we can bring people's awareness to. And just simply bring their awareness to it and let them work with it rather than try to interpret it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to know that, you know, if they are working towards something that they think they ought to be, that they won't mm -hmm. necessarily get the fulfillment um, mm -hmm. that they were looking for when, when they achieve the goal, right? So um, we need to take that into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes asking people, um, you know, it's kind of like a uh, a question to kind of hit yourself with, who says? Mm. Who says I need to be doing that? Mm. Where does that, where's mm -hmm. that coming from? Mm -hmm. Is that really, you know, within me, coming from my own heart, who I am? Or is that, uh, like you just said, coming from 
ought tos and shoulds and yeah. you know the um you know trends and influences that are you know there and we need to choose among those things what we want to take in and what we want to spit back out mm. yeah and mm -hmm. i think for us as coaches to be able to pick up on those things we mm -hmm. need to be in a good space right? right and this is this is something that you touch on in your book where you know it's it's really important to maintain a vigilant level of self awareness as a coach mm -hmm. and we need to also get ourselves out of the way when we're coaching you know we we need to be aware of our own values of our own beliefs our preferences all of those agendas mm -hmm. even you know that that might be interfering with the coaching process and the relationship um and and as you mentioned in the book as well you know there are not many other professions that require such self-awareness now, when you're a doctor or a dentist, it's it's not necessarily um, required, um, but it's it's crucial for the coaching process. So maybe you can tell us a bit more on what the impact could be on a coaching process when you don't have that self-awareness as a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because we are in kind of a unique profession, you know, Therapists, I think, as well need to be doing this, of course. But um, our own values, beliefs, um, our own issues or unfinished business of our own can definitely get in the way. Mm -hmm. And something the helping professions have been saying for many years is get yourself out of the way. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be uh, putting your agenda onto your client. You know, one of the first things we learn about coaching is that it's really very client centered. And the client's agenda is the agenda. Now, there's one little caveat, and that's the safety of the client. Mm. You know, if the client's agenda is to, you know, ride their bicycle toward a cliff, we're going to say something, you know. And um, that's metaphorically, but in reality, it might be engaging in some disproven diet or, um, you know, something else like that that might endanger their health. Mm. So we do have, you know, a responsibility there. But otherwise, we have to be very, like you said, self-vigilant. Like, I've been practicing Tai Chi for over 30 years. And do I want to push Tai Chi on every client of mine? Because I know all the benefits of it. Isn't it great? <laughs> you know, or the person that loves yoga or plant-based eating and so forth and so on. Um, that's terrific. But... How am I maybe kind of subtly attempting to influence my client? You know, part of it is how we ask questions. Mm. And I remember working with a, a student one time that I was mentoring, and she had been trained by a um, coach training organization uh, that wasn't a health and wellness uh, organization, but it was a, more of a life coach training where questions were really the thing. And she even said, you know, good coaching should be 80% coaching is what she learned or 80% questions. Oh. And to, to me, you know, um, well, ideally 100% questions. <laughs> and I really disagree with that. I think you got to use all the other tools. Mm. But what she was doing with her questions is she was using leading questions. Mm. And she literally manipulated her client to get to the solution that she envisioned for that client. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was bordering unethical, yeah. really, the recording I listened to. Mm -hmm. And yet, 
when we really have that lack of self-vigilance or we think that it's okay for us to push a agenda because we know how good it is for somebody. And truly, most coaches do this because they just really want to help. And they really believe in, you know, whatever, you know, trendy health kick they're on. Um, you know, that really gets in the way, to say the least. Mm. So yeah. it, it's about self-awareness and awareness of our client. Yes. And awareness of the coaching relationship. Yes, and I also think, you know, taking care of ourselves as well, you know, having the ability to stay sharp and, and having the stamina for the kind of work, right? Um, and it's it's going to come much easier um, when we are living or we are meeting our emotional needs ourselves, right? We're doing mm -hmm. the things that we love. Um, right. Because you, you said in, in the book that when, when you observe these sessions, when you observe masterful um, coaching, Mm -hmm. The style of the coach may vary, but one thing that's always present is that centeredness, right? That's mm -hmm. what makes a good coach. Well, that's one of the elements that really makes a good coach. And in order to be centered, you know, there's a lot of things that needs to be taken care of. We need to do mm -hmm. our own work um, and our mm -hmm. own journey of personal growth and gaining that self-awareness um, needs to be ongoing. It's not a once-off thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's that is so important, and I'm always asking you know students uh, what centers you in your life. Yeah. What are the things that you do on a regular basis to help you feel grounded, centered, right here, right now, healthy and well? Mm -hmm. And you probably realize them when you aren't doing those things and the effect that it has upon you. Mm -hmm. You know, like I remember uh, going in to see my chiropractor one time, and he said as he was feeling my tense body. Uh, boy, you haven't been out hiking or fishing lately, have you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he knew. <laughs> yeah, he knew. Yeah. It, it was showing up. Yeah. yeah. So from a personal wellness foundation uh, and personal growth, as you mentioned, is a continual commitment. Mm. And it not only gives us credibility and integrity. Uh, I mean, you know, we don't have to look like we're on the cover of Fit Magazine. We just have to be dedicated to our own wellness. Mm. But it also can give us empathy toward our clients. Mm. By us working on our own wellness and seeing how challenging it can be at times, we start to understand, oh, you know, this isn't as easy as I thought. Mm. And no wonder my clients really struggle with this. Mm. Yeah. It helps us to really connect and understand what people's experience can be. Mm. Yeah. And I think often people think, especially when they're just building up their practice, they feel like, you know, they just need to put more time into the business, into the coaching, see more clients, right. but <laughs> taking out that time for yourself um, is actually part of <laughs> growing your business of, of um, yeah, mm -hmm. creating the space for yourself is, is so, is so important. Right. And I think what goes with that as well is of course, clear boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that if it, it's very difficult to avoid resentment if we don't have clear boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you actually quote Brene Brown and her studies, which shows that, you know, that's actually the one thing 
um, that all the people who are, are very compassionate or some of the most compassionate people that they all right. have in common is that they have very clear boundaries, right? So exactly. the presence of clear boundaries really allows us, I think, to relax and to have the healthiest and the most functional of relationships. So is there are there any tips maybe that you can give us on how to have strong boundaries and, and what that looks like in a session? Right. Yeah, that is so important for us to be able to empathize and not avoid empathic connection. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the reasons that people avoid it is exactly what uh, Brene Brown says in that great little video of hers about empathy, where she says it's a vulnerable choice to be empathic because to connect with you, I have to connect with a part of me that knows that feeling that you're going through. Yeah. Am I willing to do that? Can I handle that? Mm -hmm. Can I engage in what we call compassionate detachment mm -hmm. where I'm, right here right now with you i'm right here shoulder to shoulder with you on this and yet i'm not owning it and i'm not taking it home with me mm -hmm. because and i'm going to respect your ability to handle this and i'm going to respect myself enough not to burden myself with your you know situation and yet because i'm centered enough because i'm getting my own emotional needs met well enough I'm able to be right here right now with you. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not, I need to be able to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you're a coach who's uh, just lost uh, a parent. And lo and behold, in comes your client who's just lost a parent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you can empathize, you can connect and all that. But you might not be able to process that with them as much as someone who isn't feeling what you're feeling right now yeah. and you may need to be honest with your client about that yeah yeah so so yeah. you know in in essence we need to consider our own capacity in that moment but also we need to stand beside them um, mm -hmm. and make sure that we're not taking on their burden for them or, or even taking it home with us right mm -hmm. um, and and yeah. I think what's very important there is to be able to respect our clients own strength as well exactly. you know because then we won't have to deplete our own um and then we would yeah. we will just be holding the space for them while they figure that out that's mm -hmm. the yeah. uh, positive regard that we have for them mm -hmm. exactly and, and and tying it back to boundaries which was really your question there you know um that allows us i think to feel more secure in the boundaries there's a difference between me and you yeah. Uh, but, but also it can show up in terms of um, boundaries around, um, you know, we're going to have a professional relationship here. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, uh, say, for example, um, I was uh, mentoring a client uh, who, a student who was uh, sharing a recording, and she got into talking about uh, a particular diet with her her client. Now, the coach was not a registered dietitian or anything like that. And they got to talking kind of like friends about this popular diet that everybody's heard of, and I'm not mm -hmm. going to mention. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the tricks of the trade of how to, how to negotiate this diet and so forth and so on. And it sounded like a couple of friends chatting at a coffee shop, which mm -hmm. You know, if they were just a couple of friends at a coffee shop, 
that would be fine. But this is a professional coach. Yeah. And you just can't do that because you're out of scope of practice. Yeah, okay? exactly. Mm. Now, you can uh, question the person's, you know, um, you know, information about it. Where did they get it? What are they aware of? Are they aware of contradictory information about it? You can inquire about all those things. But mm. can you coach them, so to speak, about how to execute that diet? No, you're not qualified to do that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that's another example of boundaries, boundaries around scope of practice, boundaries around professionalism. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about coaching is we are friendly with our clients, but we can't be friends in terms of the way people are close, you know, good buddies, chums, or whatever term you want to use. It's it's a little different. Mm-hmm. And our clients actually want that, you know, because they've been talking with friends for a long time about how to be healthy and well, and it hasn't gotten them where they needed to go. You know, they really do need that that professional to work with. Mm-hmm. And yet we're we're not as um uh we don't have to have as much distance as say a therapist that's working with a pathological population, mm. you know, we can be a whole lot friendlier than that. <laughs> yes, thankfully. Yeah. Mm. And I think um, there's also a lot of safety for the client when they experience, if there is boundaries, right? Mm. There's, there's yeah. a sense of safety for them to maybe explore more um, compared right. to just a, a friendly relationship, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, so one of the things that I've noticed, um, you know, when, you are holding the space for a client is that when they do tend to feel stuck so this is kind of jumping onto a whole new topic but something that I do want to touch on so when people feel stuck I often notice that many of them feel like they don't have a choice you know they don't have a choice in changing right. what is not working for them I see this so often um, mm-hmm. and I think it it really is a coach's job to to, write, to remind people that obviously that they do have choices, but maybe you can give us some some insight on how is it that people even got there? How is it that so many people believe that mm-hmm. they don't have a choice in the first place? Yeah, oh, I, I I love you bring that up, and you know when you say that uh, it's a coach's job to remind people they have choices, you're actually quoting, uh, believe it or not, Thomas Leonard who was one of the founders of the whole coaching field, the whole life coaching field. And that's what he said a coach's job was. And people do forget that they have choices. And I talk about owning your choices. Um, Let's say that you, I I like to joke around and call it a company called uh, We Abuse Our Employees Incorporated. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And you have a job there and you have an income and you have to keep that income coming in all right you can't just quit um tomorrow and you know be okay Mm -hmm. so the person feels trapped right Mm -hmm. and when we feel trapped or stuck boy that's more stress than practically anything and when you can work with a person and and help them explore that and see that okay, you know, I'm in a difficult situation. How can I change that situation? Well, maybe I can't change it overnight. Mm. So as I'm working toward improving it or working toward changing it, 
I'm owning the fact that I'm choosing to work there now mm. because I know I need to. Mm. And when that person owns that choice, it's amazing how it frees them up. Mm. They're able to go through that door at the company the next day a whole lot more easily than when they just, you know, hate it and resent it and, you know, are angry about having to go there another day. Mm. So part of it is holding out that prospect of change, that you can make things better. Um, likewise, a person that's in a, a very bad sociological situation where they live, you know, maybe their environment around them is, uh, you know, a place where it's extremely difficult to be healthy and well. How can they come up with strategies to make the best of that? We can talk about, you know, strategic thinking and coaching, you know, where can I find resources in this community? that maybe I didn't even know were there. Um, how can I band together with other people to make it a better community? Mm. You know, um, all those kinds of things. Or a relationship. Mm. You know, you're, you're in a relationship with someone, your partner, um, and it's very difficult, very challenging. Exploring what can be done. You know, exploring possibilities. And helping the person to see, you know, what they need to do to do that. And maybe um, how they may need the help of a therapist to bridge that gap. Mm. This is another example of where coaching can't do it all. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So helping them to see the possibilities, you know, even if the bigger situation can't change, there's often something that we can do, mm -hmm. something that is within our control to some or other degree. But I yeah. think something that also plays a role there is, you know, our mindset, like you said, I'm choosing now to be here. Um, so, so just our mindset um, could make a big difference in itself. And I think, you know, that's where our beliefs come in as well. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, there's a quote in your book that I love where you say, well, I, I'm not sure if you're quoting someone perhaps, but reality is not so much what happens to us. Rather, mm -hmm. it's how we think about those events that create the reality we experience. Right. Exactly. So our, our thoughts are, are really powerful in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, that for some some people listening maybe to this might think that it's a, a bit of a, a fairy dust statement. But mm -hmm. I, I really want to remind them that this concept is even taken into consideration in all well, most scientific studies. Right. It's the placebo effect. Um, oh, where they yeah. need to take the power of the mind into consideration when they're researching the effects of certain medications, for example, right? So Absolutely. tell us a little bit more about this and how we can skillfully address beliefs that are keeping mm -hmm. clients stuck. Yeah, uh, one, I'll, I'll talk about it in general in just a moment, but one quick way that coaches can help people with this is identifying assumptions. Mm. Because one way people stay stuck is they assume things. Mm -hmm. Like let's say, let's say I'm back in my old hometown, which is in the Upper Ohio River Valley, 40 miles from Pittsburgh, where the steel industry is gone. There's a lot of poverty, and I think I'm in a bad situation. Can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. I assume there's nothing I can do about it. I assume that there are not resources available, mm. but I've never checked them out. I just assume they aren't available. Mm -hmm. 
or they aren't available for someone like me. Now, that may be true, maybe, unfortunately, to a larger extent than should be. But do I know that? And how do I know that? So something I'll ask a client when they come up with an assumption, I'll say, so tell me, how do you know that to be true? Mm. Mm. And usually the person will say, well, I don't really know it to be true, but I'm afraid it's true. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. That's a fear. Now we can talk about fears. That's different. Mm. Right? See the difference there? Mm, I love that. And so checking out the assumptions helps the person get a realistic idea what resources are available to me. Maybe there are people I can ask for help. Uh, what's holding me back from asking for help? You know, sometimes uh, people, their own pride gets in the way, right? Uh, all kinds of things like that. But, you know, you're talking about mindset and mindset is gigantic. And this is something that I've been uh, looking at for a long time because I always talk about how important it is for coaches to operate on a coaching mindset instead of the treatment mindset, the consultant mindset, the educator mindset. Mm -hmm. But the field of mindset uh, has been studied by two people in particular from uh, Stanford University. One is Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. She talks about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And the other is Aaliyah Crum, C-R-U-M, who talks about how powerful mindset is in determining all kinds of reactions that we have. It's like mm -hmm. a, a preset um, way of viewing the world that mm -hmm. then is like a lens that we look through and it sees some things accurately and it distorts some things, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And she has a very famous study about how powerful um, mindset is. She worked with a um, number of people, a, a good, good population of people in the hotel business, the essentially women that clean the rooms and fix them up for the next guest. Okay. And quite a few of these women were overweight. And when she asked them, do you get enough exercise, you know, to be healthy and well? Uh, they say, oh, no, I come home, I'm tired, I don't have time to exercise, you know, I've got to get dinner ready and, you know, so forth. Well, she put activity monitoring devices on them with their permission, and the data was amazing. And she came back to them and said, you know, you all are moving and exercising in your work every day at a level equivalent to an Olympic athlete in training. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she did. She just told them that and they lost weight. Ah, wow. Boom. Yeah. 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 So yeah. How, how we see ourselves in the world, mm, what we think cool. about ourselves, yeah. it has this ripple effect that it shows up in all kinds of places. Oh, yeah, it's so powerful, right? Oh, gosh. So just thinking that we're getting enough exercise is actually going to impact our physiology. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so is, is there anything else that you maybe want to mention just as a, a last mention on the book or that you want to specifically mention to coaches out there um, before we end off? <laughs> well, you know, 
I, I would say that uh, I've just been so privileged to encounter so many people that want to help people um, be healthy and well. You know, I talk about creating allies for a healthy world. Mm. And that's really how we need to think of ourselves as allies. Mm. You know, how can I be in alliance with this person to help them live their best life possible? help them determine what that is, help them get that. And it comes back to what you were saying about, you know, being kind to yourself, um, being caring toward yourself. Uh, A lot of it comes back to self-compassion. Yeah. And, you know, there's a wonderful, uh, wonderful book called uh, When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. And uh, I'm always recommending that to people when they're going through a hard time mm-hmm. uh, and, and to everyone, because the message over and over again is, is kindness toward yourself. You know? mm-hmm. So when, when coaches are, are, you know, working at building their career, working at learning these skills, working perhaps at building a business or working for a company, you know, that has a lot of demands, um, Engaging in our own self-care is is huge. Mm-hmm. And we need to continuously be doing that. You know, um, again, uh, Thomas Leonard once said, a coach's job was to help people eliminate tolerations and get their needs met. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, you know, if you're getting your needs met in all those different dimensions of wellness, the personal, emotional, spiritual, not just the physical, and you're not tolerating things you're confronting things that you need to work through you're not you know putting up with um treatment that's not proper etc etc you know life is pretty good Mm. it really is Mm. so a lot of it keeps coming back to your own personal wellness foundation what you were saying Mm. what centers you in your life what grounds you what uh what feeds your soul Mm. yeah and that makes it so much easier to be an ally for our clients and to show up for people in general in our lives. I guess that that applies to to everyone out there. Um, it's easier to show up and be in a good space to be in relationship when when we are taking care of ourselves in that way and and nourishing ourselves in a way that that really serves us. Thank you, exactly. Michael. Um, it's really been so insightful to be able to speak to you and your. Your calming presence is is really so contagious. It's lovely to to share this space with you, even though it's it's via Zoom. Um, yeah, right. I guess really for any coach out there who who wants to deepen their craft and take their coaching skills to the next level, I, I would highly recommend that you read Michael's book. Um, so just one last question on where else they could get hold of you. Do you maybe have a website that you want to oh, share sure. with us? Absolutely. Yeah, realbalance.com. Realbalance.com. Yep. Realbalance. Lovely. Okay. Thank you, Michael. So that's it for for now. And thank you for joining us. And good luck with your journey going forward from here. Oh, and and, uh, best of luck with yours. Uh, Wonderful interview. I really appreciated uh, your insightful questions. Thank you. Thank you.